God, we ask that we would come to your altar this morning to be open in the confession of our lack of ability to be good enough to stand before you and yet the grace that you show us to invite us anyway. Uh, we look to you to bless this morning. Lord, please uh, be glorified with our meager offerings. Uh, we lift you up high in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, my name's DJ, Pastor DJ. I'm the youth pastor here in Bruce. Pastor Bruce has asked me to finish his series uh, called Growing Up, a series that he started uh, talking about love and moved to uh, reading the scripture. And then he, uh, last week, we got to hear a message on why we should pray and how we should pray. And the last installment of this series by him is on obedience, on, on why we should obey what the Lord has commanded. And, and so uh, finishing Pastor Bruce's series is uh, intimidating for the youth pastor to do. Uh, he's brought it really well, but I, I you know, I just, uh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, the passage I'm bringing you this morning is great news. I have some really good news for you this morning. The good news that I have for you this morning is that you cannot be good enough to earn your salvation by God. I'll tell you why that's good news by the end of the message. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, uh, we'll be in verses 16 through 26 this morning, and I just want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story of a, of a rich young man who had an encounter with Jesus and an opportunity to change his life for the better that he did not take. And I wonder if, after hearing the story this morning, if our response will be the same or different than his. Um, Matthew 19, verse 16. Let me tell you the story. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. If you would enter life, keep my commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen is right. Uh, we're coming to the, uh, to the topic of obedience this morning, and I thought one of the first things that we had to do was kind of address the, the wrong sides of the mountain that we can tend to stand on and that people have historically stood on when we talk about obedience and what obedience is. I think there's two major kind of wrong categories that we can fall into, and I'll show you what that looks like uh, through, a, through the Bible, uh, if you don't mind. 
two ways that we can kind of misinterpret the level and the efficiency and the sufficiency of our own obedience to God. Uh, one thing that people do is when they think of obedience, they, they kind of think of it in a self-righteous way. Like if, if I can obey, uh, then I can, I can obey enough to kind of be good enough to go before God. If I work really hard and I get 16 accountability partners, and I, right, and I've got everyone monitoring everything I do, and I'm just, my, my knuckles are white because I'm holding on to my own goodness so tightly, then I can be good enough to stand before God. That's one way that people think about it. We see that all over the Bible. The other way is something that maybe uh, our culture is a little bit more prone to, and it's kind of this self-indulgence of obedience. It's like, man, how is this guy going to get up on stage and, and talk to me about obeying God like it's 1892? Like, who, who's talking to him? Doesn't he know that God forgives sins? And so if God forgives sins, then why would I really kind of concern myself with using my energy to obey him if he's just going to forgive me anyway? Right? That would be great. Uh, unfortunately, I got some verses for that one. But So we kind of, we stand on either side of the mountain, and I, I think the goal of my message this morning is to kind of get us to fall in that gap between the two of those things. The reason that we don't want to do that, the reason that people pick a side to stand on typically is because when you fall in the gap, suddenly you're not in control anymore. Then you're just falling and you're kind of trusting God. But we, kinda, we have to fall into the gap between those two things. If I believe in my self-righteousness, then I can build the foundation that I stand on. If I believe in my own self-indulgence, then I get to t- determine my rules and I get to be my own God. But if I fall in the gap, then I'm just, I'm, I have to trust. And I think that's kind of the, that's the foundation of obedience is when you'll fall into that gap and you'll begin to trust. So, uh, throughout the Bible, we kind of we see this pattern happen uh, of obedience kind of being addressed in both of these ways. In, in fact, uh, the first words that God ever said to mankind together, Adam and Eve, in in, uh, in the first chapter of the Bible, it's like Genesis one twenty eight. The first words out of the mouth of God to His people were a blessing in the form of a command. God blessed them and said, go forth and multiply the earth. It was blessing in the form of a command, kind of setting the the pace and the principle that God would bless us by showing us that his ways are best, and then we would set the kind of our standard by immediately showing that we think our way is better. Uh, About a chapter and a half later when Adam and Eve decided just to ruin everything for us, and that's why California is the way it is now. And so, (laughs) from that point on, we see kind of this pattern established of God's willing grace given to his people and our willingness to abuse that grace. Um, But I think people kind of misinterpret the use and the purpose of the Old Testament when we say, man... Like, this is, this, is the, this is the self-indulgent people. They're like, man, that's just a book of rules. Like, God wouldn't, God's not just about rules, man. He's like, he is love. True. Uh, that's in there. Uh, and I agree. The, the Old Testament isn't just a book of rules. Because I, I think when we think rules, rules are like you should be in bed before 11 p.m. Right? That's a rule. That's not the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a book of laws. So it's actually more serious than... Uh, people think it is. We break rules, but we try not to break the law unless we're driving. 
right? It's just a little bit. We think about it a little bit more seriously. So God establishing his pattern looks like this. Blessing in the form of a command in the first chapter of Genesis. God's blessing in the form of command looks like this. When he gave the Ten Commandments, you guys know the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20? Was that before or after he saved his people from Egypt? It was after, right? That's really important because God wasn't watching over his people suffering in Egypt like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I know you guys are slaves and it's really hard right now, but here's some commandments. Let me see how you do with these. And if you do really well with these Ten Commandments, then I'm going to get you out of here. That's not how the story goes, is it? God brings his people by his grace out of slavery toward a promised land. And then once they're out there, he goes, all right, now, look, this is how you can be perfect and follow me. You see kind of the order. It's all, it, his, always, Old Testament, New Testament, grace precedes law. The grace of God precedes the law of God. The law was a picture, not of how we can best behave to be like God, but a picture of how far apart we are from being like God. And so because he knew that he set a standard that we couldn't reach, he always put his grace before. Abraham was the same way. It says in Romans that Abraham was justified by faith. There was nothing that he could have done apart from the simple act of believing in God that would have been good enough. That's it. Same with the Israelites. Here, we'll bring you out of Egypt. Now, this is how you follow me. The order of that is really important. When the Israelites asked for a king, they got Saul. How did that go for you? Super well, right? Saul, at least, like, we complain about our politicians Saul was the worst. He was the worst, but he was self-righteous in the fact that he thought, well, this is, I got the crown. I can pretty much do whatever I want. He kind of nailed both somehow. He was a little self-righteous, a little self-indulgent in his own. The Israelites kind of followed that pattern. They're like, well, I'm going to worship whichever God I feel like worshiping today. You see the rhythms in the Bible are just like, man, we're, we're so concerned about our own righteousness. We think that we can do it or... Uh, when that doesn't pan out for us, then all right, well, I guess that's not working, so I'll just do it my way then. If I can't earn it, I'll just do whatever I want. That's kind of the pattern of the Old Testament. And all of it is this beautiful kind of picture of the redemptive story leading to the climax of our Savior on a cross, showing that uh, he died for you before you even knew that you needed him to. And that's the grace available to us. Uh, the story of Matthew 19 kind of finds us in the middle of that story in that climax um, of grace with a promise and obedience with a purpose of a rich young man who wasn't willing to find his true treasure in Jesus, wasn't willing to obey the one real thing that Jesus asked of him, even though he was willing to be as self-righteous as possible. Uh, we find the young man in the story uh, approaching Jesus, and uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about Matthew 19. Man walks up to Jesus in uh, Matthew 19, 16, and he asks him a question. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I love this in the Gospels. Anytime you read the Gospels, try to read it like this. Anytime someone asks Jesus a question, try to pay attention if they ever ask the right question, ever. They never do they ask the right, Jesus always is either like kind of rephrasing their question for them or just like takes them to town on the wrong question that they asked. Uh, one of my favorites that I talked to, we just went through uh, John 9 with the students and uh, the disciples walk by this blind guy in John 9 and they're like, hey teacher, uh, what did this guy do to deserve being blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? 
Jesus, I, I picture the look of bewilderment on so He's like, neither? Like, why are we, are we giving Jesus multiple choice questions here? I'm going with option C. Thank you. Like, it's kind of like that, like, he walks up and he just asks Jesus the completely wrong question. What good deed must I do to inherit? Do you see what he's really asking? He's like, hey, what can I do to put God in my debt so that I can have eternal life? What's the one thing I'm missing? I feel like I've got it all down, but just to make sure, I've heard that you know God. What's the one thing I can do to put God in my debt so that when I die, he owes me eternal life? That's the real question he's asking. I don't think there's much purity of heart in this question. If there was, a conversation would have gone a lot differently. Because Jesus looks at him, and he goes, why do you ask me about what is good? Now, if it's, if it's me, I'm, I have an answer for that. It's like, I'm asking you because you're Jesus. But it's because I know who he is. I don't know if the rich young ruler had that completely figured out yet, and he'll demonstrate as much later in the story when he walks away from him instead of taking him up on his offer. But Jesus looks at him and he says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. That's interesting, isn't it? There's only, there's only one who's good. Why are you asking me what good thing you can do? Why are you asking me about what is good? Only, only the Father's good. You think, you, you think there's something you can do? There's only one who's, why are you asking me? You're asking the wrong question and you're asking the wrong guy. But he says, I'll entertain it. <laughs> I think he does this sometimes too. People ask the wrong question and he's like, I'm not only going to tell you it's wrong, I'm going to show you how wrong it is. You want to do this dance, let's do it. So he says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. Oh, man. The rich, at this point, the guy's like, he's coming out on top in this conversation. He's like, that's what I wanted to hear. That's what we're talking about. What commandments? He's like, which ones? Imagine the boldness. Jesus is like, oh, you want eternal life? Just follow the commandments. And you're like, oh, yeah, which ones? Okay. Jesus says, I'll play. You shall not murder. Everyone that didn't hear the Sermon on the Mount is like, I'm good there. You shall not commit adultery. Everyone who didn't hear the Sermon on the Mount is like, I'm good there. Just so you, if you're not from a church background, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that uh, if you have anger in your heart towards someone, that's like murder. So now everyone's like, ah, oh, dang, I killed someone on the way to church this morning. <laughs> he says... If you've lusted in your heart toward another person, then you've committed adultery. Everyone's like, that's less funny. But <laughs> He says, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, so don't lie. Honor your father and mother. Everyone's out. <laughs> and then Jesus says, enough of this list business. Let me give you the one that matters. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The reason that Jesus ends with that one, I think, is because that's the biggest uh, most important commandment that he gives as his, like you shall love your neighbors yourself if you've ever thought about kind of the size and the weight of that commandment no one loves you more than you love you and so to kind of take that self-love that you have and grant it to others on that level like everything you do for your own self-preservation every all the thought that you put toward you Jesus is saying take all that energy and put it toward other people and that's how you should love them that's like that's that's crazy, huge, Jesus-looking love. 
And it just blows my mind that Jesus gets to the end of that list and any sane person is sitting there like, hmm, I got some work to do if that's it. If that's how I get eternal life, then I've got to go back to commandment one and start over. Like, can I get a clean slate right now? That's not what the rich young man does. (laughs) He says, I'm good. (laughs) He's like, all these I've kept. He's like, you got another list in your tunic pocket somewhere? Like, I... I'm good on what, I'm all that. I'm loving, like, all of it, which I don't know if that's true. Uh, but Jesus knows he doesn't have to get him right there. He's got him with something else. So he says, I've got all that, so what am I missing? What still do I lack? Jesus said to him, all right, all right, this has been fun, but let me hit you with this. I'm paraphrasing sometimes. If you would be perfect... <laughs> Go, sell what you possess, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. I think on the balance of all the self-sacrifice that would have taken, if the young man was right, and he said, I followed all those commandments, I did all that, if he, I mean, honestly, if he's put that much effort into it and the last thing that he had to do for the question he's asking is to give what he has to the poor and follow Jesus, I feel like at that point you'd be like, all right, where's the closest goodwill? He, he can't, though. He can't because he doesn't get it. Because he walks away sad. Because he doesn't get it. Because he doesn't know who he's talking to. Because he doesn't understand that it's not... The question that he's asking isn't about what he can do. The question that he's asking, really, if he asked the right question, it wouldn't be, teacher, what good deed could I do? The question, if he knew who he was talking to and he knew the real question he was asking, the thing that he would ask is, teacher, what are you going to do to make sure that I can have eternal life? That would be the question that he would ask because he would have realized that it's not about his goodness but that he was talking to the only person that had ever, was, and will ever walk the earth who was worthy of paying the price that was going to buy what he thought that he could earn with his actions and his behavior, if he knew who he was talking to. What an opportunity wasted for a rich young man who found his treasure in other things than the precious Savior that was standing right in front of him. So I want to talk about obedience with this passage, and I just have a few things. I think this will hit us all pretty hard. It hit me this week, I don't think that any of us can listen to a sermon on obedience and, and really kind of avoid having to wrestle with something. Um, I want to, no matter how long you've been a Christian or if you're not a Christian, I, I just think that your habits and your life is somewhere in this story. It's somewhere in these points. I, there's no stone unturned in our hearts because uh, we could make the mistake of going into this message like the rich young man and just be like, man, everything he's saying, like, I'm good on that. The person next to me really needs it. But, like, I'm so good on that. Like, my, I hope my husband's listening, but I know that, right? It's just like we could go into the message like that, but I just don't think that if you'll just listen, I think God has something for you in this, in this story on, on, and this message on obedience. So I want to go back to the beginning of the story and just kind of show you in sections some stuff that I have seen in the Bible that is true about obedience 
Um, so at the beginning of the story, when the young man walks up to Jesus and he says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I kind of touched on that, and I just said, I, I really think the young man is asking the wrong question because obedience was never about a good deed to earn eternal life. That's, that's never been the point or the emphasis of obedience. That's never been the question that we should ask God about obedience because when God looks at our, what we would call good deeds, when, when he looks at completely sinful people committing acts of, of goodness, what we will call goodness. This is what Isaiah 64, 6 says about those good deeds. Throw that verse up on the screen for me. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. So, the fact that the young man would walk up to Jesus and say, what good thing could I do to put God in my debt so that I can have eternal life? Even Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus even walked the earth, was kind of looking around at himself and at the other Jews and, and people who were called God's children. And they're like, listen, guys, we're just like the unclean. That's, that's the point that it's at now. Like, even the things that we call righteous, like the, the very best things that we do, the best offerings that I can put in the temple, the best thing that I can offer up to God, when he looks at them, because it's coming from my sinful heart, the best thing that I can offer is just like a filthy rag to God because of the difference in his goodness and the lack of mine. And so in light of that, for, for a rich young guy to walk up to Jesus and be like, hey, what's the best thing that I can do to make sure that I can put my stamp in the book of life, to make sure that I can have eternal life? It's, obedience was never about the one good deed we could do. That was, that was never the point. From the beginning of the story to the end, there was something bigger going on. And that's really good news for you if you've just been exhausting yourself trying to think like, man, what's, what's the one thing I can, I'm going to keep a calendar and I'm going to check off every Sunday that I make it to church and I get 52 out of 52, I just have to do it once, then it's like a lifetime membership into the heaven club. I just have to make it every week. Or I have to read through the entire Bible before I die, otherwise I'm not sure what's going to happen when I get up there. Or, those are kind of funny, but or, I have to like... If I don't get my parenting exactly right, I wonder, man, like, I'm putting my own eternity at stake. Like, what's, what's the best way that I can parent to make sure that God will give me eternal life? Ain't it, right? It's, like, ain't it, it's, not about the, it's not about the good deed. No one knows the heart of man better than the God that created it, and so it wouldn't be just loving or fair of that God who knows us better than anyone to put the kind of pressure on us to earn our own salvation by works we can do when he knows that we cannot. That's why he came, was to kind of take that place. He, he knew that he could do something that we couldn't in living a perfect life, to lift the pressure off of his people and say, all you have to do now is believe in me. It's, obedience was never about the one good deed we can do. Similarly, the story goes on. Jesus asks a very fair question. Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And again, he, he kind of he toys with the guy a little bit, I think. Because uh, I just love the question. I just think he's such a knucklehead a little bit, the rich young man. He's like, which ones? Which ones? What if that was your response to this message? 
That'd be so tiring for you. You would be exhausted this week because my answer would be like, all of them. See how big this thing is? All of them. Do them all. Get everything exactly right. Oh, and not only does it have to be noticeably good, but your motivation behind it has to be perfect too. Right? It's just like, man, who can handle the weight of that? But he got which ones? Okay. Uh, and so uh, Jesus starts listing murder, adultery, stealing, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, it, again, it blows my mind that the man gets to the end of that list without just crumbling on his knees before Jesus. But the point that Jesus is trying to make is that obedience was never about following all the rules to be good enough. I mean, isn't this kind of what people outside the church think that Christianity is or religion or whatever? Right? It's just like, I'm not, I'm not really religious, but I'm trying to be a good person. Oh, you're in huge trouble then. Because uh, you already failed. You're not a good person. Neither am I. I yeah, I've been accused of being a good person before. <laughs> like it's, uh, like it, depending on who says it, it's either a badge of merit or, or, uh, or not. Right? They're like, oh man, you're, like, oh, you're just a really good person. You go to church. Like, now, not only do I go there, I work there. Imagine how good I must be, right? It's like, (laughs) people just don't understand. It's not about following all these rules. Again, that's so condemning for broken people who can't do it. It would be so condemning. It would be so unloving of God to be like, sure, you can have me. All you need to do to approach me is be completely perfect. Heaven would be so quiet. Churches would be so empty. I'd have to be an accountant or something. I can't do math, guys. Like, thank God for the, right? We need his grace because obedience was never about following rules to be good enough. Look at this absolutely stunning verse from Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. I think that verse is convicting enough before the last three words. Just the fact that if your mind is set on, which just means that's what you're focused on, kind of the direction of my life and my heart is aimed at things of this world. I'm going to make sure that my 401k looks amazing. I'm going to make sure that my kids are set up. And I'm going to, right, it's just like I'm going to make sure that people think that I'm a good person. Uh, if that's what my mind is set on, then I'm, my mind is hostile to God because it's set on the things of this world. And God has said, set your heart on me. Set it on the creator, not on the created, because that's going to fade away. And because he loves us, he says, you should put your heart on something that isn't going to. It does not submit to God's law. So there's the obedience piece, right? If we set our minds on uh, our riches or our treasures or the things that are here, then the result is that we don't submit to God's law because anytime there's a compromise needed, then I'm not going to make it because I, I want what I have. I want my way, my way or the highway. It's all about me, right? And so that's, I think that's, uh, that's enough for me to be convicted about what my heart is set on. But then when Paul writes, indeed, it cannot, it means that if my heart is set on the flesh, then I'm so blinded to the point that it's actually impossible for me to submit to God's law. And so it would be even more condemning if all the Bible was and all Christianity is, is a set of rules that we're supposed to follow. And that's the entire story. And that's the whole point of us meeting every Sunday is these rules to follow. It would be a problem 
because with our hearts so naturally set on the flesh and what we want and who we want to be and what we want our family to look like and what I want to be in my job, and that's all I'm focused on, the problem is that I can't submit to God's law because my heart is so stuck here. How could I think of heavenly things? Uh, Someone once said that I don't have time to think about eternity. I got so much life to live. Here's the problem with that. (laughs) You have to. (laughs) This is going to run out quick, quicker than you might think. You don't even know. You don't even know. I told uh, some Liberty High School seniors that I uh, graduated with a class of about 420 students in Buffalo, Minnesota. It's a decently big school because it pulled from a lot of small cities around it. People I graduated with, and I graduated high school in 2011, which wasn't that long ago. I graduated high school in 2011, and there are multiple people from that graduating class who are not alive right now. 26, 25, 24, 20, they're gone. How can we live our life thinking that there's definitely time to figure all this out? How can we live our life thinking that I just need time to work on following all the rules and then God will love me? We're missing the whole point. Obedience isn't about following all the rules. Let me show you what it is about. Let Jesus show you. He goes on. After, uh, after the young man says, I've kept all these, so what am I missing? Maybe you're thinking that right now too because you're like, man, I feel so... Uh, I feel so confused because I really thought this was about everything that I had to do. And so maybe you're asking the same question, what, what do I lack? What am I missing? And Jesus tells him, if you'd be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That's the most important part of that. Not, not what he sells, not where, where I just come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He was rich. And so to sell all that, he just couldn't, he couldn't let go. Let me tell you some stuff that obedience is about. Obedience is about finding Jesus as our greatest treasure. This is what the young man was missing. It wasn't the, it wasn't the fact that he was rich on its own. But it was the fact that he was rich and he loved it. It was the fact that his grip was so tight around his riches that he wasn't willing to let go to receive Jesus when it was offered. Our response should be different. This is uh, what Matthew 13, 44 says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and, and then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Obedience is about realizing that Jesus is that great treasure. Here's another one for you, John 14, 15, really simple. You don't need any kind of exegetical anything to understand what Jesus meant when he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Cause and effect. Not, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. He doesn't say that. He very specifically does not say that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then the last one uh, from 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. It isn't kind of this, oh, I, I guess I'll, I'll do what God says. 
okay, right? Kind of like when, we've, when we obey our parents because they have leverage over us. It's like, I'll clean my room because I'm afraid of you as a person, right? It's not that. It's not, I guess I'll call mom on Mother's Day or she'll be furious, right? It's not that. It's not, I guess I'll stop wailing on my brother or I'm going to get grounded again, which I usually did not choose to do that. I just took the grounding. It's not that. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. To follow the, the commands of Jesus, to obey Jesus is to realize him as our greatest treasure and that's what the rich young man was missing. When Jesus, when Jesus, when Jesus looked at him and said, all you have to do to have me is sell everything that you have. Again, if he knew who he was talking to, then he would have been like, okay, it's gone. It's as good as gone. I want you. Like a man who finds treasure buried in the field and he goes and sells all that he has. He knew what he was receiving and he knew that the treasures and the greatness and the joy and the grace and the mercy of Jesus outweighed all the weight of the gold in the world. Anything that he could have collected would pale in comparison to receiving the goodness of a Savior who could give him eternal life and life everlasting. If he knew who he was talking to, he would have said, it's gone. But he didn't. All he knew was that he wanted what Jesus was offering, but he didn't want Jesus. So he walked away sad. We have to know that this is more than following rules. This is about finding Jesus' treasure. That's not just for super Christians. That's not just for who, right? That's, that's on offer for you. That's on offer for all of us. Jesus came and died to be treasured. Because it's going to waste away. And so we have to realize in this treasure. And the last thing that obedience is about from the passage, 23 through 26, Jesus gets into this conversation with his disciples because they're probably pretty confused. Honestly, if you're standing outside that conversation and you hear the rich young man like, yep, got that commandment, got that commandment, got that commandment. Honestly, you're standing there like, wow, this guy is legit. Like, I haven't seen Jesus impressed too often, but I bet this is getting him, right? Especially if you're Peter and you mess up all the time. You're like, wow, this guy, this, do we got room in the 12? Like, is the 13 just as catchy? Like, we should let this guy into the, what, get Judas out of here. Let's get the rich young, right? It's just like, this guy is killing it. And then this is how the conversation goes. And the, the young man ends up walking away sad. And the disciples are like, hey, hey, Jesus, for real? Like, that guy, like, I'll leave. Like, I'll go back to the boat. I feel like he deserves the spot on the team. <laughs> Jesus turns to his disciples. said, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Why did that mean so much to them? It's because they were broke as a joke. They didn't have anything. Right, I mean, they were just walking around with this nomadic rabbi going to all kinds of places, trusting on the goodness of people to eat and to sleep and to not, right? And so rich people in their culture were just like, yeah, they can have anything. They can have anything. Why do you walk away? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. And Jesus says, it's only with difficulty that a rich person can enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is it so difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because it's difficult for anyone. 
It's difficult for anyone that won't let go of what they think treasure is. And the conversation goes on. He says, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than uh, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Imagine we're 19 chapters into this gospel, everything that they had seen from Jesus so far, and they still had room to be greatly astonished at something that he said. I mean, we're a chapter separated from uh, Jesus, uh, like the, 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 just the glory of God covering the, the essence of Jesus, and, and they still like, oh, I'm astonished at this, though. They still had room in their hearts to be like, man, we just don't understand this guy at all. Because they're like, who, who can be saved if not him? If, did you hear the, were you listening to the commandments? Who can be saved? And they're thinking that it's condemning. They're thinking that it's a weight that they can't carry. And Jesus says, you're right. But it's not condemning because when he looks at them and he says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He told them the most grace-filled, soul-freeing, weight-lifting, yoke-easening thing that he could have said to any disciple of any time in history was that you cannot do this on your own, but I'll do it for you. There's a price to pay. You can't afford it, not even the rich, but I can, because obedience was always about what God has done, not what we can do, always. Always. It was about what he came to do, not, teacher, what good deed can I do? Nothing. But what about all these commandments? It's nothing. But what about nothing? It's not about what we can do. It's about, it's about what he did. It's impossible for you. Do you see why that's good news? Do you see why it's good news? Because if you can't do it on your own, then it means that you don't have to strive to try. You just have to believe and receive him as treasure. If it's not about you earning it, it means you're free to just accept it. I know that my pride fights against in real life when someone gives me a gift for no reason that I don't deserve. I'm like, ah, I'm kind of a manly man, so thanks for your, thanks for your $25 gift card to Best Buy. But people don't give me much, but it's like, I'm good. I'm good on that. The worst wedding gift Chris and I got was a $10 gift card to Best Western Hotels. And what do we... <laughs> What are we supposed to do with that? Like, <laughs> there's coupons online better than that. Like, does it work in the vending machines? Like, it's just difficult to receive gifts that we don't, right? It's just like, I don't need that. I'm good. I'm working hard. Keep your stuff. I'll keep my stuff, or, right? Even in the church, we can be like that. But that's the opportunity before us with Jesus. You can have this. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I'm singing Reckless Love now, but it's like, just take it. It's on offer. But don't walk away sad because you're not willing to let go of the treasure that you thought was treasure until you saw the real treasure. Three things. 
that uh, compel us to obey God in a greater way than, uh, remember when I was talking about how sometimes we'll obey a parent just because they have leverage on us? Following God is not like that. His commandments aren't burdensome, uh, right? He's not, he's not watching over you in heaven and kind of taking up your, your karma balance at the end of every day, and he's like, all right, well, today you outweighed the bad, so today I love you. We'll see how tomorrow, that's not it. We serve a better, better God than that. And so if that's not the reason to follow God, if it's, if it's not because we can earn eternal life, which would be a great reason to follow him if we could, uh, if it's not because it's going to change his perception of us because it's, 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 it's not, then why bother obeying? I have three really good reasons for you. And as far as how, uh, I only have so much time, so you'll just have to read your Bible this week. I think Bruce talked about that a couple weeks ago. Three reasons to obey God, to see him as our treasure. One is because of his uh, love. Because of God's love for us, then we can see and we can understand that his ways are better than ours. You see how, how God's love would compel us to obedience, not necessarily just as a response to it, but as a reason. If God loves me the way that he says he loves me and he tells me to do something, then I believe that the thing he told me to do is the best thing for me. Right? This is kind of the, this is the, the conflict with, with parents and kids who don't understand that we're trying to do things in our best intention when we tell them no or when we give them advice on how to do something. We tell them no because the thing that they want to do is going to harm them. They don't see that. To, at, at any age up through right now, right, like my mom tells me not to do something, I'm 26, I'm like, okay, mom, I'm a grown man. And then a day later, I'm on the phone like, I should have, right? <laughs> but it's on every scale. Our, our one and a half year old tries to do stuff all the time, like lick outlets and stuff that he shouldn't do. And we're like, he, he's convinced that that's the ticket to his happiness is like, I will be, I will be fulfilled as a toddler when my tongue goes in that electrical outlet. And we're like, no, it's not, because you'll die. And we pull him away, and he's furious right? for a minute. And then he's trying to destroy something else. But like, that's, that's kind of that's God's law for us, in a sense, right? It's just like we're so convinced that this one thing, that's the thing that I've been missing this whole time. If I could finally just have enough money, if I could finally just get enough attention from women, if I can finally just get enough appreciation in my job or from my spouse or from my kids, that's the one thing that's been missing this entire time, and then I'll feel fulfilled. And God's like, nope, <laughs> don't do that. And we're like, ah! fighting against the love of a God who's trying to pull us away from destroying ourselves. The reason to follow God is because he loves us so we can trust him. His ways are better than ours. He knows better. He knows better. It's God. We should follow him. The second reason that we should be compelled to obey God is because of his grace. Because of his grace, uh, we obey even when our obedience isn't perfect. I think that this is a huge hang-up for people. I really want you to understand this. We'll, we'll refrain from obeying God a little bit because we can't obey him completely. We're like, well, what's the point? Can't be perfect. You're right. But he has grace for that. His grace covers that. It's like he's, 
He's giving you grace that you don't deserve to cover the, we'll, we'll do this with our past. We'll be like, I can't, I can't follow God. You, like, I've heard people say this more than one person. If I walked through the doors of a church, the whole place would burn down because of what I did in my past. I'm like, I've been around church for a while, about 12 years, and I've never seen one burn down because someone walked in there. I've seen people's habits burn down. I've seen people's sinful patterns burn down, but I've never seen a church burn down because a sinful person walked in. There wouldn't be a church standing in the world if one burned down every time a horrible sinner walked in. There wouldn't be one standing if every time uh, a preacher stood up who was a horrible sinner. They'd all be down. And so your obedience isn't complete. It isn't perfect. That's not a reason not to do it. Your past isn't a reason not to right now trust that God is sufficient to cover the gap of that and to, to stop standing on each side of the mountain and just fall in and trust in that he can cover you. His grace is good enough for all that. So we obey even if it isn't perfect. We just trust in that slowly. He's going to make us a little bit more like him if we follow him. He's not going to leave us here, but we can trust that he's going to bring us along. And then the last thing, we obey because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we obey because we have power over sin. I think the biggest difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that when the temptation to sin comes knocking at the door, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to say no. He bought us that power and provided it by giving us his spirit upon salvation. And so if you feel like you're stuck right now, like I wish I could obey, but there's just this one or two areas of my life where I've kept it hidden, I've kept it locked away, I don't feel like I can follow you have that power over sin. Confess your sin to someone. Let them walk through it with you. Repent of your sin before God. He's asking you to. He's promising that if you do that and you believe in him as your savior, that's it. He's covered you. His grace is enough for you. His love is amazing for you. And his cross is sufficient for you. Obedience can be difficult because we don't always understand why or what or how, you don't need to. He's got you covered. Let me pray. God, we pray that our response to an offer to follow you wouldn't be like the rich young ruler where we walk away feeling just completely powerless to accept it, but that uh, we would accept you as our greatest treasure. That we would... Uh, that we would kind of acknowledge who you are. I think that's really what we're missing, Jesus, is just there's going to be gaps in our obedience. There's going to be. But we know that there's no gaps in your love. We know that there's no gaps in your grace. We know that your cross didn't miss a single opportunity to atone for anything. And so we're asking to be convicted, to obey you in a greater way this week, to read your word and figure out what that even means. Uh, above all, God, I just pray for the people of this church that we would find our greatest treasure in you. I think once we do that, it's going to be awesome to see the way that we live on mission as a result of the price that you paid for us. Your goodness is overwhelming. Thank you for who you are. And just pray that we would continue to find you as our treasure. Let us seek you. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.